welcome to season two of the Sober Experiment podcast with Alex and Lisa. Our podcast is for anyone and everyone, whether you're still drinking, thinking about ditching the booze, or you've already quit alcohol for good. Our podcast is raw and still unedited to this day. Join us and our guests for tears, emotion, and some hilarious laugh out loud moments. Season two is sponsored by Lunar Holistics. Lunar Holistics offers a wide range of professional home study courses, including counselling, life coaching, and NLP. They also offer courses in beauty therapy and for the most spiritual minded of you, they've got courses in tarot, palmistry, astrology and psychic development. So if you've been considering a new career or you want to learn just for fun, no matter where you are in the world, Lunar Holistics will enable you to gain a fully recognised, accredited and insurable qualification and no previous academic qualifications are required. Lunar courses are easy to follow and you can study from home at any time that suits you. We're really excited that Luna has offered to sponsor this season as everything that they do aligns perfectly with our core values. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's still awkward. This is our third take and it's still awkward. Oh. We always laugh when we say hello because we've been actually sat together for the last hour interviewing Mark Adderley. We have, and what a treat we've got for you today. Yeah, so in in today's episode, we talk a lot more about mental health, including depression, which is something we've been wanting to talk about for ages, but haven't really... We haven't really broached it, have we, properly? I think it's so difficult when we talk about anything mental health. There's such a huge stigma around it. And then when we talk about it, it's like... I don't ever feel qualified enough to have these conversations, but really it's just how we're feeling. So yeah. you don't have to be qualified to feel bad. No. Do you know and, what I mean? No, and uh, also, anyway, feelings are not facts, Lisa. Do you know that? Somebody taught me that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, good. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to chatting. We've been really excited about this one, haven't we? Yeah, we loved you on the sober session, so it's really we're dead excited that you've um, taken more time for us. Oh, absolutely, oh, fellow fellow soberers. I don't know what do we call ourselves, fellow sobers. Soberites. <laughs> I know. I want. I want a name that's like a good band name. Do you know what I mean? The Soberites. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is cool. <laughs> I want to be in that band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm in it too somewhere. I don't know where. <laughs> we had one of our members saying the other day that um, she's how far is she now? <laughs> she's probably about fifty days in, and she was right. like, "Is it a cult?" <laughs> Like I promise it's not. It's a difficult. I think it always, always, it's funny though, isn't it? Whenever you say to someone you don't drink, I mean, cult is never far from it, is it? I I think it's it's partly because they think there's only AA and obviously I've done AA, but I think part of it might, might be to do with the fact that, and you know, I think it's easy to think that you stop drinking, you get sober, and you're just blithely happy all the time. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it requires behind-the-scenes work, it requires attention and all of that. But the net result is there is a sort of tranquility, even in our downtimes, that you can sometimes around a dining table when other people are drinking, they look at you, they keep looking at you at the end of the table going, <laughs> what's sort of like, what's with him? He seems all right. He sort of seems un, <laughs> sort of seems un edgy about stuff do you know what I mean and you can sort of see that so I can see why people think we are in a cult 
Yeah, yeah there is suspicion, isn't there? Like, yeah. what do yeah. they know that we don't? Well, yeah. we know that if you don't drink, you tend to feel better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, you know, I, when I, I went to see my stepdad in Canada when I first stopped yeah. drinking, and he was gobsmacked like every single night because he goes to the pub every single night so when I was going out with him he would say every night I can't believe it you're actually happy (laughs) (laughs) funny isn't it yeah it just couldn't believe that I could have conversations Mm. and be sober with people so yeah yeah we've had that flip side conversation actually with a member as well though that said you know like am I meant to be happy all the time yeah. because I don't feel happy and right. I think that we don't because we're how we are and we're all about the positives in sobriety sometimes we miss the fact that there are people who are genuinely struggling every yeah. single day just to have a positive yeah. mindset yes yeah 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 I agree and I mean, I think, I think my, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Good I think in I, there, Alex. Good in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I think I spend most, I'm a genuine believer that a lot of people who, who turn to alcohol and most forms of sort of compulsive addiction, addictive behavior are doing it to escape this reality in some way, because this reality is either too painful or it's too disappointing or it's too challenging or it's, you know, there's, there's something about it that isn't enough or we feel too outside of the normal. There's a sense, isn't it, that everyone else is normal and we're different. I mean, I love, I love a phrase that was used when I was in rehab, which is, you know, the, the description of the addict can be, uh, they feel like the biggest piece of shit at the center of the universe. And I like that because it, 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 it really sort of talks to the idea that you, you can feel ghastly and yet it's all about, you know, you're assuming that the world and the universe is all about you. Mm. Um, and I think what I like about you guys and, and what I like about what other people are doing around, you know, sober groups and alternative ways of sort of being happy or satisfied or finding satisfaction in sobriety is, um, is, 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 is this idea that, you know, you can... I don't know. It. I do. I do sometimes find. I do sometimes find myself wondering whether am I just a very negative person? <laughs> you know, am I a very down person? And am I doing something wrong in order to 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 not feel better or seem happier or you know? So I, it's it's very easy for me, say for example, to to, to be very self critical mm-hmm. over the way in which I've stayed sober or maintained my sobriety because most days I wake up feeling shit. Yeah. <laughs> and most days I wake up feeling like I can't get through this or how am I going to get through this? And, I, you know, obviously there are strategies that one's found through uh, various things. You know, there'll be a bit of AA, there'll be a bit of what this sponsor's done for me, or there'll be a bit of what I've read here, and there'll be a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy here, you know, negative thinking, what have you. Um, but I never sort of approach, I, I'm, I'm always beating myself up. And I was kind of curious to ask you guys about this, how you deal with this, because I always sort of beat myself up when I look, sometimes I can look in my tool bag and it's pretty shambolic, you know? It's like Nadia's, my wife's bag. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to find anything in there that's the appropriate thing to find at the right time. And I sometimes feel that, you know, you know, there's a sort of, there's an inherent selfishness to feeling that one's so sort of important even in feeling what one's feeling in the first place. Do you know what I mean? I'm sort of rambling a bit, but I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that, is that I, do, I do just feel, I do sometimes feel that I worry I over-focus 
on stuff far too much. And the danger there in the outside world is, is that, you know, you just need to shake yourself out of it. Or surely if you're sober and you're doing this, you must have strategies that work. I don't always have strategies. And I think sometimes it's really important to say that, you know, strategies fall fat, you know, they, 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 they don't always work. They fail. They, you know, I struggle with them. And, and I sometimes see that people, when they hear that you're struggling, they suddenly sort of, they go, oh, all right, yeah, Jesus Christ, I, I don't have to be up. I don't have yeah. to be bouncy. I don't have to be, you know, Shangri-La. And it's funny because when I spoke to a, a friend of yours, Sober Dave, he said something. I can't remember he was wanting to meet up for something. I said, I said, you're being oh, so, I said, I'm going to pull you down. I'm going to pull you down. I said, I'm so resolutely half cup, half empty. And you're so cup, half full. And it was like, you know, it's not, obviously, neither one thing is what anyone all, is all the time. But um, but I do, uh, you know, I do worry, I do worry about how good an alcoholic I am. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I get it, actually. You know, like, and strategies evolve as well. Yeah. Like, um, obviously, it's a little bit different because, and you've pointed this out before, Lisa and I have been very best friends for 30-odd years, yeah. and we are completely different in our outlook. We're completely different in our mindset. So mm. Lisa is very much glass half full. You know right. what, Alex, you've got this going for you, that going for you, the other going for you. Yeah. Come on, pull yourself out of it. Whereas part of me is very much stuck in my past mm. and, and I battle with it. And I actually commented on one of your posts the other day because you said, um, I feel like this, I feel like shit every day. Like you've just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a normal day. I feel like that every day. And, right. and, I, and I battle, really battle most days with just getting a shower and getting dressed. Yeah, now, yeah. I've not been diagnosed with depression but I have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and it will get to a point where mm. some days I will lie on my bed and I will cry. And, and I, you know, and again, I don't know whether I um, am qualified to sort of say this. I don't have suicidal thoughts, i.e. I don't dream of taking my life. I don't oh. have any ideation. But I have pictured disappearing and not existing and thought, I wish I could disappear. So right. is that the same thing or is it not? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Mm. And I'm, at times I phoned Lisa and said, I can't do this. I just, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You know, I feel like drinking a bottle of red wine and going, fuck it to the world. Mm. And mm. she's gone, do you really though? And she's pulled me out. And I guess that's, not really what people see because what they see is Alex yeah. and Lisa like, hey, we're on a cloud, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, Alex? I'm just thinking like you said, I don't wake up dead happy all the time. No. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of a secret um, law person. Yeah, you are. You're a secret yeah. misery. Yeah, yeah no, I is. actually yeah. am. So I do, yeah. I come across and I work really, really hard at being glass half full and I am right. and, I, and I work at it you every work, single yeah. day. Like I get up, I will do meditation, yeah. I do affirmations, I've got them written on, on my mirror. It's hard work being this happy, you know. It's, yeah. not, it's not as easy yeah. as people think and I think when I'm feeling really low and there's times in my life where I have been on the floor and I keep I'm, I'm very I go very introverted at that time mm. I don't want to talk to people I don't want to shout it tell anybody how I'm feeling I just want everybody to leave me alone and I kind of and have it is this, everybody isn't everybody it? I don't want to speak to anybody I'm mm. just like and you know I'll get to be like I'm like Alex I, don't, I just don't want to speak she said to don't you. phone me Don't, don't. Really? And, and, and yeah I mean there's been times where I've phoned her and, and I can tell she's been crying and I can tell she's been down yeah. and she's just gone 
please can you not phone me I'll phone you in a day or two I will, yeah. I will come out of the they're not very often but they're very no. dark yeah they are and I think through my life that is something we talk like Alex said about anxiety a lot on this yes. podcast and yes. resonates with so many people but we don't actually talk about depression very much and I think for me it's been you know in my teens um, after I had my first child I yeah. took antidepressants and then again about about 10 years later I'd say but I don't feel ever qualified enough to talk about it because there's this there's a difference in between being sad and being depressed and what yeah. I love about you Mark is you're really open about mm. depression did you know that you suffered with depression before you stopped drinking or was it something that you realized after you stopped drinking well, it's really, that's a really good question. I mean, I think given that, I, you know, I started, who was it who asked me? Someone recently asked me, were you a depressed? I think it was my mother, actually. I think she said to me, she said, were you an anxious, were you a depressed or anxious child? Were you scared as a child? That was a question. I said, I wasn't, no, she asked, were you anxious or depressed? Sorry. And I said, no, I was more scared than either of those things. Because as a child, you've got no comprehension of what, a hu- what an emotional state is, is it? You're, you're, you're busy being a kid. And so even in danger, unfortunately, as a kid, you can find great excitement. You know, often think of like the kids during post-war Britain, they'd run around the, all the kind of wreckage and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was a very chaotic childhood. It was a very restless childhood. It was a very odd childhood. It was very sort of unhinged. Uh, there was a lot of alcohol, a lot of drug taking, all that kind of stuff. But I was, a, I was actually a very satisfied kid. I, you know, I, I eked out my time. I, I, I was good. Then I started drinking and... You know, and I started drinking about the age of, you know, 14, 15, and then it was just an arc upwards, wasn't it? Up until, you know, however old I was, what was I, 30, 33, 34? Uh, and across that time, did I know if I was depressed? Do you know what? I think I probably drank with such ferocity and fury, with ever-growing speed and intensity, because I did have a sense of what you were just saying, which is... I was slowly trying to kill myself. Mm. But I think from a much, when I think about it now, I think I was probably doing that from a much earlier age than I'd like to think. Yeah. Because it doesn't take many knocks, does it, when you're in your young adult life. So I had a child quite young at 23. I was in a relationship that really meant something to me. Drinking was a problem before that. So that was clearly there before. And I thought that the set dressing of life would mean that it would be fine. I've got my partner. We've, I, you know, I was very lucky. I went into, straight into a very successful job from film school. We had a house. We had a baby. And then I screwed it all up. I was unfaithful through drink. It was, you know, but all of my acts of sabotage were drink-related, drink-based. Um, and I realized that whenever I was on my own, I was deeply distressed. I was deep, I am. deeply distressed whenever I was on my own. Now, that's odd, isn't it? Because as a child, I was on my own an awful lot. But because you're a child, you're just getting on with it. But and, you'd, and it would be a time of great creativity and play, and that's probably where I got my imagination from for scripts and all this kind of stuff. I'd be real, yeah, 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 this is all good. But obviously somewhere that was being funneled into somewhere in, in myself where I felt very alone, very, dis- I knew I was in an unsafe place. So as I got older, I did everything in my power, even when I was wrecking relationships, to always be with someone or have someone around me. Always. 
And so I never, and that as much as the drinking disallowed me from being able to face what I was feeling. So going back, I am coming around to your sort of question of when did I know? And it was only really when, and that's why I think it was only really when I got the diagnosis with Nadia quite a way into sobriety as well, um, did it hit me almost more strongly than it did the alcoholism. Yeah. It was such a sort of, because it was both a eureka moment, but it was also a, a sort of a sort of capitulation. I just kind of like fell so flat and I thought, fucking hell, I've been doing all of this incredibly, what was elaborate, lying and drinking and even in sobriety, struggling with this, struggling with that. I could be this, I could be that. I should be better at this. And actually, fundamentally, I just didn't want to be me and I didn't want to be in me and I didn't want to be on my own. And whenever I was on my own, I felt the thing you've just described. I just felt this, such a blanket of darkness and foreboding and that's why i think you know the, the difficult thing about talking about depression is a huge we were just talking about this actually earlier me and nadia you know a huge component as we know of depression is anxiety it's they have they present in very similar you know ways um and so you know the feeling of foreboding and doom and gloom and dread and you know but a stomach churning dread uh has obviously been there and was hardwired into me from a child. So I think it has been there all along. But I mean, the moment I found out that for, for sure, in a weird way, it was a eureka moment and a, and a huge kind of punch. But I can't work out why that was a punch because I suppose in one sense, I thought, no, I'm an alcoholic. That's what I am. I didn't want to, it almost felt like it was encroaching upon something yeah. I understood about myself. And then I realized it was something more fundamental. And then a whole heap of other work had to be done in a sense somehow on myself and negative thinking and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I, you know, if, if I, in answer to your question, in the rare little moments of solitude I've had throughout my grown-up life, all I did was try to do anything to fucking obliterate, excuse my language, obliterate, obliterate, you know, any sense of being conscious of, of being on my own. You know what, Mac? I'm really interested in this because I've got a very, very close family member that um, I see suffers from depression and I really, really struggle to help them. And there isn't any help because of their age. They're too young for medical. Right. Um, and it, it's really hard for family members, I think, and people around you. Like, how how does it affect your family yeah um well that's a tricky one because listening to the two of you characterize yourself you're a bit like me and nadia and my nadia's my wife and in, in, in that she is an eternal optimist but, oh, you're, but yeah, we're like a married couple aren't yeah 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 <laughs> but behind that optimism i think she would say she would i mean not that we necessarily i don't believe in the whole sort of horoscope thing entirely but we are two scorpios we are very dark in our sense of humor we're very gallows humour. We're very drawn to, you know, only us could sort of understand how dark we'll take humour to. Between ourselves, other people would look at us and go, it's a bit freaky. Um, you know, we talk about death all the time. We talk about it in the most excruciating detail, you know. Um, so in terms of how does it impact on the family, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the most difficult things, I think, for, for, for my wife, Nads, is that um, she feels that she needs to be 
I can see that she feels she needs to be ready and waiting and av- available to help when I'm going through. And it doesn't happen in episodes. I mean, again, these terms that people use are so sort of intimidating. Episode, I don't have episodes. It's like one fucking great big episode sometimes. Yeah, exactly. What are we talking about here? 27 minutes with a commercial break? I don't know. Um, you know, it's just an enormous epic. It can be just one continue. In fact, it is. A, it's an epic episode. And yeah. within it, there are, you could argue there are moments of light. You know, I'm very silly. You've probably seen on my social media, I can be very silly, very fun, very, um, you know, uh, bipolar as well you know very up and very down um so but for nadia i think there's this feeling of she knows that i can hit really dark times and she's she's often trying to cater for that but i also know what's really difficult for her is that sometimes she's you know where we rub up against each other badly is where i feel she's only understanding me in terms of my depression you know she'll only under you know she's perhaps only thinking oh well, this is a symptom of something that isn't about what he's actually feeling and i think that's the problem for people who suffer with this is what's a real emotion and what's a sort of generic emotion with a with a diagnosis attached to it what is me and what is this thing called depression oh i get that so much more than you realize like my husband will say you know if i'm having a really kind like an opinion on something yes opinion on something and it comes out with emotion attached to it yeah and i might say oh no i'm not happy about that i don't want to do that and he'll go that's just your anxiety (laughs) speaking it's not my fucking anxiety (laughs) i don't want to do it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and I get it. I get that. Honestly, listening to you, I think you've just done a better job. Sorry, GP, if you're listening. <laughs> I think you've diagnosed me better than my GP. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. There you go. Here, honestly, I mean, I sounds to me like my inner voice hearing you. I've actually right. got goosebumps. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. That's me. <laughs> you know, we can't have anybody else on this podcast because she diagnoses herself every episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking about episodes, and I'm like, we cannot bring anybody else on with any medical issues. <laughs> yeah, no, I like those as well. It's me. <laughs> but honestly, in all seriousness, when I'm hearing you speak about those, like, light mm. moments, and I mean... You know, I have lots of happy days. I have lots Mm. of really positive outlooks and, Mm. um, yeah, lots of ambition and things like that. But when when I'm down, Mm. and and the same with Lisa, you know, like she was saying, I have. It's very hard for me to swim and crawl my way out of that place. And I heavily rely on other people. I hate even now. I (laughs) hate being alone I've never been alone I've gone in and out of relationships my entire adult life that are not suitable just because they've liked me more than I've liked them and that's given me um, a purpose and made me feel needed and wanted Um, they've always ended in disaster um, because they've not been real Um, I struggle with attaching myself uh, emotionally to my children even though I absolutely adore them Mm. because I don't have uh, any kind of experience of being um, nurtured in that way. So I don't know how to do it. Mm. Um, so it's very, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of differences between our stories, but I, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah I can get it. I get yeah, the it. Truth, the truth of that experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. I, I, I think she, you know, when, when I, I mean, okay. So we've said it's one big epic episode of kind of, um, and I do sort of use those sort of terms. It's just feel like, yeah. um, but when I have those, you know, for example, it was about two weeks ago, I can have a particular day and there's such strange days when you are so 
so, I mean, it's like you say, I mean, it's the classic, you know, it's the Stephen Fry-esque thing, isn't it? That you can't get up, you can't get, and you hear those phrases and it might not be that I, I can always get up and I will always make sure I do my, do my, say, workout for my mentals and all that, I do all the physical stuff. But it's such a darkness. It's like being dead. Yeah. It's like I imagine being, you know, the living dead. It's like you are walking with zero compassion, emotion, and yet at the same time, that and it exudes from you. So, you know, going to the extended family, you know, my two youngest girls who live with us, Maddie and Kiki, you know, they know within a nanosecond, without even walking into a room, what my headspace is. And I feel a huge burden of, you know, responsibility, obviously, for that, because, you know, it's not like I don't ever sit there kind of, I will always use comedy to get myself out of it. But they know when it's fake comedy, they know when it's like, just reaching for something to try, try and distract them from what I'm really feeling. And I think that the most difficult thing as a parent and with extended family, when you have things like depression and anxiety, is, you know, when your children start to demonstrate the same feelings, yeah. You feel a huge guilty burden of responsibility, like, oh no. I mean, and I don't know if you get this too, as an addict, you sort of think when you see your children, grown up children, overindulging. So like Izzy, you know, my eldest is 27, you're like, oh my God. Oh my God, this is me. Yeah. Ah, this is me coming through. This is and you only isn't it interesting how we only look at the negative things that are coming through them as us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, I like to, yeah, I do this with my 21-year-old daughter, and I think we spoke about this. Like, in the paper sessions, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I love her to bits. And I, she's and a I really see, good girl, isn't she? She's so good, but I see that she does what I did. So, like, yeah. if she's sad or angry or if she's broke up from a boyfriend, she's off out and she'll drink and she, she's just me. And it's so, like, I, I don't even know what I'd say yeah. to her because... Yeah. I don't know how I would have helped myself at that time without doing that. Do you know what I mean? That has come with experience and time. And I, you don't want to kind of stop drinking. It's not going to help you because that's not going to help them. It's, but on the that, she sees that in you. She does see yeah. you. Don't yeah. She does see the way you've changed. And I think that is helping her. Yeah. 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 I think you're absolutely right. And I think in a weird way, the example we set as sober parents yeah. is something that they will only ever turn to in later years. It's like, that's my hope with my eldest even. And I mean, okay, so she's 27, but later years than 27, because, you know, if I was to sit there, say, with Maddie now, who's going to be 18 this Christmas, and say, yeah, no, drinking is the wrong route, she'd know that was a load of bullshit. I mean, you can't say to an 18-year-old, drinking is not the route to go, because she knows you're bullshitting her. Is it your <laughs> yeah. way? She knows it was your way. She knows you're a recovering alcoholic. She knows you did it. You know, so I often come from that place of, it's a risk of saying alcohol did. I had a lot of fun on alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol did it for me. I think I said, might have said it before, you know, but just make sure it's not your best friend. Make sure it's your acquaintance. And it's that thing of, of, you know, of, obviously you're going to have blowouts and, you know, I can think of an occasion where that happened. And I went into a tailspin the first time I actually witnessed one of my children drunk, you know, and Nadia had to kind of get me away from this. I was just like, Oh my Christ. Oh my Christ. This is not, this is not part. And of course, how many oh, times have we all done? I know it's so hard. <laughs> I've not you, yet. Oh yeah, no, but it's so hard because of course you can't sit there and say to them, "Yeah, don't do it," because you. It's like, well, what do you mean? You did it. <laughs> no, I get that with everything. Three teenagers, and you'll know. We, yeah, <laughs> I get that with absolutely everything, and I see. Yeah. And Beth will say to me, "I want she'll like," and I feel a bit bad about this, but because she's witnessed my drinking up until like I'm what um. 
two just over years. two years mm-hmm. sober. So it's all she's ever known, which I've got a kind of get my head around sometimes. Mm-hmm. But she will say, I won't do what you did. I won't ever take my children to um, oh. pubs. Oh. Or, I, know, I know, but she doesn't say it in that way. She's like, when I'm a parent and when I'm settled down, I will probably go sober. And she's adamant right. about she it that she's... Yeah. yeah, and it's really... So that's kind of good to see. But this is interesting, actually, Matt, because this is what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. So Nadia still drinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, how, you know, like I left my husband when I got sober because he was oh. still drinking a lot and he was an alcoholic, um, an active alcoholic. Mm. Alex's husband kind of... Um, he stopped got, with me. Yeah, he stopped with you. But didn't need to. Oh, oh wow. That's, need to, but wow. He, was, um, yeah. he drank once in a year. Wow. So I'm really interested to know how that kind of works for you both. How do you feel when Nadia drinks? Do you look after her when she's got a hangover? Do you feel yeah. a bit more gay? How, do, how, do, how does it feel? <laughs> There's always smugness when she's got a hangover. The thing is, that, I mean, Nadia herself has said that, you know, if, if I hadn't stopped drinking, she knows she would sort of although she wasn't necessarily, what again, what is the definition of an alcoholic? I think everyone has alcoholic episodes or, you know, yeah. periods of it. So I think she genuinely is grateful for the fact that just her alcohol consumption has massively reduced in her life. But she loves a good time. She loves to go out. She loves to have a drink. She loves to party. I mean, she's not an extravagant drinker in front of me, but that's not because I've kind of created a problem. She just, it's just never been her thing to come home and like pour, pour a glass of wine in front of the telly or anything like that. So she's very... She's very tolerant of me, but I think I'm very tolerant of her. So we have alcohol in the fridge. Um, you know, when we have friends around, I'll always pour the drinks for people. Um, uh, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't even mind if she got drunk, you know. I mean, there's been, obviously, there's been several occasions when she's come home drunk. Um, the difficulty sometimes comes around, um, you know, sort of entirely making her understand how difficult it is for me wanting to go to social situations with her when I know she can drink to just get through the door or because everyone's nervous, everyone's a bit shy. Um, And I think she gets frustrated. I know she does. She gets frustrated that I'm not more confident or bolder in being able to join her because she wants to be out with me, not because she actually wants to go and get drunk. She's like, I want to be with you. I I like being out with you. I want to have that. And so, you know, I recognize in myself that something I'd like to work, work hard at is having that sort of self sustainability of self and worth walking out into these places. But I think it was you guys who said something to me that I keep using a lot, actually, which is perhaps you just haven't, perhaps they're just not the right people. And I think yeah. it's, a really interesting, yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I shared that with Nadia and she was like, well, yeah, that's a fair point. But, you know, she's, I suppose she's meaning just in those occasions where you always want a partner just to kind of come along and support you. Um, you know, I think I could try harder. I think there's more work I could do. But there, you know what? We, we have a very happy balance around current drinking. Like, for instance, today, Nadia's got friends coming around. They're all going to be getting, you know, sawalad, as we call it. Um, <laughs> oh, that's and, brilliant. And, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a new, new verb. And, uh, and, <laughs> and so I know I'll be coming back later when I come back in. Um, and she may be a bit, bit tipsy but hey that, that doesn't really matter i think the one thing i do miss though and and i don't know if you you feel this is that even in a healthy relationship a little bit of alcohol is a nice way to just soften 
they're getting into each other's vibe a bit more, you know, and especially when you're anxious, when you're like me, who's very fucking always self-conscious of everything that's bloody going on. So I'm a director. I'm looking at everything as if I'm yeah. going at it. You know, sometimes I can see Nadia wishes I was just a bit more at ease. Chill. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. If I look at my sobriety and everything, I just wish I could be more at ease. I think you know like the occasion that I'm telling you about or I told you about a second ago where my husband had his first drink it was just the weekend gone actually and he's not drank in 18 months like almost 18 months like I haven't but this has been a birthday party that's been coming up and he has said forever I will drink on that day I won't drink after it but I will drink on that day and I um, really struggle with anything being dropped on me. Anything, you know. I, I'm spontaneous on my own terms, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So if I make a split decision, great, let's go along for the ride. But anyone yeah. else doesn't, I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been planned for months, which actually then had the opposite problem. It's also an issue with me where I overthink it and build it up to become this yeah. big, awful event. So I spent the last maybe two months thinking, oh, he's going to drink. Oh, he's going to drink. Oh, he's going to... He actually had five pints. He was absolutely fine. Right. There was no issue. There was nothing. It was the usual kind of, I enjoyed being with the people. We had some lovely conversations. Got to a point where I went to bed because I couldn't tolerate them spitting at me. But other <laughs> than that, um, it was a great night. Yeah. And, and I think that... Partly, yeah, maybe if they're not your people, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't go along. But also if it's not your um, kind of social event, it's hard. Yes. Like, yes. I would never choose to do that. I wouldn't choose, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to sit with drinking people because it makes me uncomfortable. Now yeah. I know where that comes from and it comes from my childhood because most of the reason that I'm like I am comes from childhood trauma that was surrounded in alcohol. Yeah. So actually... It's just helped me to realize that it's not about my drinking. That's not why um, I don't want people to drink in front of me. It's about their drinking. Yeah. People drinking makes me feel unrest and frightened. Yeah. Well, and I, a lot of anxiety. But as you're saying that, I'm wondering whether maybe the whole his sad history of drinking and alcoholism, like socially, mm. is humans forcing themselves to be with people they don't it want to is. be with. That that is this is In what I'm saying. It is. We're forcing ourselves to yeah. like, 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 yeah, to get on. Because, you know, I've been to sober events now, like loads of them. So I went quite early on in my sobriety and I was so nervous, man. Yeah. Like, my heart was pounding. It, it was just such a scary thing to do. And when I got there, I found that on, we had like a long table and everybody had to, it was a bit like speed dating, but no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you had to kind of swap and make conversations. So even that got me really nervous. But what I found was with some people, the conversation just flowed so naturally and it was lovely. We got on, we laughed and it was like, wow. And then mm. with other people, it was really awkward. Yeah. And, and everybody was sober and it made me just think like, you don't like everybody just no. because they're sober. You're not just going to get on with people. Yeah. Like some people are assholes. Some people yeah. are lovely. Some people, yeah. some people are just not your people. Yeah, some people yeah. are that's It's it. a very simple thing you said, but it's really stuck with me. Yeah. because, And it's something I use with, with my, my daughters as well, which is, you know, you're not, we're not, we're not put on this planet to get on with everyone. No. You're not put on this planet to be, not get on with people, but why just keep insisting on forcing yourself to be with it? I mean, yeah, it, 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 you know, if I think back to, especially working in the media, and I think back to the amount of years I spent in Soho having beyond boring 
stupid, self-indulgent, wanky conversations about all sorts of shit, thinking we were the be-all and end-all. I just, you know, what a load of old drivel. And really, I didn't want to be there, fundamentally. I wanted to be, I mean, metaphorically, as a child, I wanted to be back at home creating my own stuff and doing my own stuff, which is why when I went into sobriety, I set up my own company. And and it's funny, isn't it, how with sobriety, you don't talk about it on a bar stool so much. You think, you know, it's like what you're doing. You, You go off and you just do it. Just get on with it write a book, do it. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, you know, it's a curious one, but I do think I sometimes look at society and especially in lockdown. I mean, basically two lines of advice have come from the government in lockdown, which strikes me and our family as a family living with someone with alcohol, you know, as a recovering alcoholic. They've told us to spend money we can't, we don't have and can't afford because everyone's suddenly, yeah, and drink. Get pissed. (laughs) Matt, please don't, because I could go on about this for ages. I am infuriated by alcohol. It's just ridiculous. It's outrageous. Get poor, poorer, and get pissed. Is yeah, and when really you get addicted, yeah, because yeah. because yeah. there's articles coming out, you know, I, I've become an alcoholic in lockdown. And this is something else that we say. Everybody but everybody who first sips alcohol has the potential to get to the other end of the spectrum because it's not linear. It's not straightforward. If you start drinking, you can become addicted. There's no two, it's it's an addictive substance. You're not invincible to it. It's a lottery, it's Russian roulette. Yeah, Yeah, it is. You just said something quite interesting a second ago. Well, you've said lots of things. Um, just, just one thing, Mark. <laughs> I'm pleased, though. I'm pleased I said one thing. <laughs> no. Um, so, so, you know what? I've got, it's gone. The moment's gone. Don't worry. It was that interesting. It's evaporated. He does that all the time, and I've gone and done it because I thought, oh, no, I've got, it's thrown no, me. Oh, you said one thing interesting. <laughs> no, she can't remember. I was, I was just thinking that, just, just going back to the, the, the things we were saying about living with mental health and depression and, and what have you. I mean, one of the things I would say that is very challenging for the family of someone who's an addict, depressive, anxiety, you know, all the things that we are, or I am, um, is that, you know, we do hoover up a lot of the attention and we do hoover up a lot of the energy. I mean, I try to, it's why I kind of go to the opposite end of the spectrum in being overbearingly stupid and funny with the kids is that I want to make it, I want to make life as entertaining as I possibly can for them too. And as kind of unprecious and as silly. But, you know, it is, I recognize that it is a very, you know, it can hoover up a space. But the problem with that is that even if I choose to try and be private with that, however private one tries to be, if you're in a family, you can't be private enough for it not to affect people. Because if, like, say, for example, you simply remove yourself from the house or you're at work or whatever, they all still know and they're all still feeling it. Do you know what I mean? And it's very hard. It is very, you know, so my heart goes out to, I mean, I am blessed and I think we just, a shout out has to be made for, you know, all the families and, and partners and yeah. children of people struggling with anxiety and depression because it, 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 you know, it really gobbles up energy, you know, it gobbles up energy. It's like a black hole sometimes in the family. But, uh, but at the same time, that you know, Nadia is incredibly tolerant. And, you know, but we've been through lots of couples counselling. We've been through lots of, you know, when I was in rehab, one of the most critical parts of it were the family days. And I think there's a, a direct correlation between uh, people who, or families or couples that survive, say, one half becoming sober 
and the longevity of that relationship is, is directly attributable to whether family, those family days in rehab work. You know, you, your family needs to be able to say to you, you were this to me. You were horrible to me. You did, you know, unless they feel they've had that free, safe space to say, you were all these things, though I know that's not all of you, you know, you need to hear it. And I think that's the really important thing as a alky. It's in, that's interesting as well. I think about that with my ex-husband. When he stopped drinking, um, he couldn't hear that. He did not want to hear. And the children, he was a stepdad to the children. And they wanted, they wanted to say, you hurt me. You did this or you said this. And he and it, it literally was like, I don't want to hear it. I'm not like that anymore. That's why, your, that's why your breakdown was complicated. Because yeah. it's not all about the fact that he didn't manage to abstain from alcohol or whatever yeah. it's about the whole package isn't it oh that yeah it didn't come to terms with being no it, it, it was a wanker sober too <laughs> <laughs> there is that detail there is that detail yeah absolutely <laughs> you know, you know like, I was like oh he might be he might be alright and then we stopped yeah. being like no he's still really selfish <laughs> he's yeah. still like yeah. and that's so it's really but he wasn't ready to hear any of that and um, and probably to be, you know being in the spirit of kindness if he, even if he is a wanker you know that <laughs> might be because in his own way he either hasn't got the language or the capacity to front it out you know if I think about a lot of the men I've known in my life who you just think for God's sake just let go and open up and just admit it you know is fear a lot of it is fear of, of, yeah. of actually acknowledging your behaviour and it's a journey it's a journey yeah. as well so like you know somebody's realisation might happen right at the beginning of the sobriety somebody else might take years to come to terms with it I think yes. it's another thing where everybody gets there at their own pace and some people might never get there like they might yeah. always be a wanker but, but you know we, we yeah. do eventually get to a point it's of self-acceptance doing it differently as well I think like we stop drinking very differently like yeah. I kind of um, did it focusing on all the positives of sobriety, whereas yeah. he did the twelve step program, and I'm not, and I'm not either. saying this, you know, but there was a huge difference in our beliefs about yes. sobriety, really. So he kind of really wanted to hang on to all the stories and the bad things he did, and he would constantly go over them. And I know. I know it's worked for loads of people, and I know you yourself did 12 mm. steps, didn't mm. you? Mm. Um, but f for me, in particular, it was the being powerless. And because I see myself as so much different than that, I feel more powerful. Right, I, yeah. I've stopped drinking, so I, can't, I get it, and I get, and I get what's behind the powerless. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't associate with that because I just feel like it's such a brave, bold, amazing thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that's really, and I think that's a really important thing. And I think you've probably articulated what I haven't been able to about why I have struggled with AA over the years. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I will always have a fondness for it because it was really there to help me out of rehab. It was kind of, I was, I, my analogy with rehab is, it's like microwave recovery. You're put in the microwave, you get to a certain point, and then I landed in AA. I couldn't have walked into AA off the street. I tried it, failed. Um, AA then just allowed me to, and I didn't particularly, although I'm a very social, I can be a very social person. I did have sponsors and what have you, but I struggled with it. I struggled with my own crushing social anxiety in there. I just found it really hard to do all of this. And I'd share, but, you know, again, a bit like you, I'd be spontaneous if it's me being spontaneous and me sharing, but I couldn't do the thing of you've got to share every week. I said, I can't do that. I just, I'm not in the, 
no, this week I'm different. I can't just. I'm put not my hand spontaneous, on. Mark. Today I will do it when I'm spontaneous again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, but I do think what you just said is, is true because I do think AA works from, in a weird way, a premise of accepting that you're kind of subjugated to this addiction all the time, aren't you? So you're, you know, I remember someone quite close to me um, saying, I don't want to go to these AA meetings anymore. I don't want to keep being told I've got an illness. Yeah. And even though, yes, of course, on a level like a mental health issue, it's an issue you have. It goes back to this thing I was saying earlier about with how Nadia deals with my depression. That's not all of me. You know, and I don't want that to be all of me. And so I was, I found myself sort of, <laughs> the last couple of meetings I ended up going to, I'd say to Nad, she said, how was it? And I'd be like, well, it left me wanting to, I needed a drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the first thing I wanted to do was just go and drown my sorrows. It was just so, and I do think that, and again, it's not to knock it, because I think it's a really useful call we to do. action for people. Yeah. Um, but I do think it generates a, le- a level of, you're right, the powerlessness. How about, reviewing that as I've taken control and I've done something very powerful. I think that's quite inspiring. You know what, Mac? It's 16, is it coming up to 16 years for you? 16 years this October. Yeah, absolutely. Which is just amazing. But it makes me think like AA and you going to AA say 16 years ago. Yeah. It's never really changed, has it, in that time? No, no. So maybe it just needs a bit of a revamp. Yeah, a bit of a revamp. It needs a reset. And it needs a facelift and it needs, yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that's why I love what you guys are doing and what, um, you know, Sober Dave's doing and, and, you know, and it's all interrelated. I do think, and Nadia has been saying this for a while, um, the joy of, was it the joy of the book? The joy of... Unexpected joy. (laughs) I mean, it's funny because when that book first came into our lives, Nadia was reading it and I think she was a guest on Loose Women. Um... I was very sort of standoffish, not in a sort of judgy way, but I was just like, oh, I, I was threatened by the upbeat positivity of it. Yeah, I get it. And, and, and again, you know, I was a little bit anxious about talking to you girls, not because I, I was thinking I haven't got anything to say and it was lovely talking to you last time, but I was thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I don't want to be, I'm, I can be such a misery. I don't want to be, or, you know, I'm always sort of, if you ask a question, I go off into this sort of thing of, and then it's again, and I sort of can sometimes take the joy out of something. Um, I don't think you do. Oh, well, okay. Well, that's encouraging. I genuinely I mean, don't I, think you do. I think you offer a completely different perspective on it, which is massively right. important because yeah. there are going to be 50% of our audience who don't feel upbeat yeah. and positive every single day. And yeah. And don't feel that life's worth living every single day. And and I don't think you do drag it down. I think you offer a different perspective on it. I I don't, I don't personally don't find you negative or. um, Well, I mean, maybe, but I mean, I think that's just in my life. I I do see the humor in every, I I think. Yeah. I I mean, it's like at the moment we're toying with writing a sitcom about setting a rehab because it's fucking hysterical. It's funny. (laughs) When I was thinking back to the day, there was a day I, came downstairs when I was in in the rehab centre, walked through reception, a car had crashed through the glass reception and was stuck out the front of the building. Right. <laughs> I said to the woman on reception, which which was broken, I said, well, who's that? She said, oh, that's the na- latest, latest inmate. I said, well, <laughs> said, yeah, they drove through reception. There's something inherently, you know, and if you can see the humour, and I think going back to what you were just saying, I think I do always behind even feeling so desperately bleak about things, I do recognise that we've 
all of us collectively have made absolutely the right decision. It's like, you know, I can feel as bleak, even in my darkest, darkest, darkest place. I always stress to Nadia that I'm not feeling like I'm running the risk of relapsing. You yeah. know, I do, yeah. I do live comfortably knowing I won't relapse. That doesn't mean I necessarily stay in a great place and I can worry about my state of mind and how happy I am or, you know, and all that. But I know I won't pick up a drink. I know I won't. You That's know, like what you, what you come across as to, to me and, and, and um, an overthinker. So I yeah. think that often when you're in a dark place, if I'm right, please correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, because this is what I do. I'm in a dark place and then I start to think, why am I in a dark place? And then yeah. I start to think, does everyone else feel like this? And before you know it, you've actually taken yourself down that rabbit hole because yeah. you're thinking about why you feel dark in the first place instead of just letting yourself feel bad. Absolutely. That's why Nadia keeps saying, do bloody meditation for God's sake. Uh, oh, she, she's do. got me on it and I don't do much I do like five minutes a morning it's helping a bit I think I asked you the other day actually on um, Instagram yeah. but you get like a billion comments oh, I'm sorry yeah, <laughs> I've probably. tried tapping uh, oh no 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 I was going to ask you about that yeah what do you mean tapping as in lit- I, I thought I had to get tap shoes literally no. tapping oh, EFT is it EFT? Oh. EFT emotional oh. freedom technique and oh. um, we've just we've both been doing it with two ladies called Jules and uh, Katie um and we've done a podcast with them, actually, but we're due to do another one in a week. Oh, okay, okay. They, honestly, they've changed our lives in one way or another. Just through tapping these acupressure points. Wow. It, it's, whether or not it's a physical distraction, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the science behind it says not. The science behind it says you're actually tapping these acupressure points and releasing. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't, it's chemicals, isn't it? Releasing some forms wow. of chemicals and, neuro, and um, neurotransmitters and neural, uh, neural signals. Yeah. And it does bring your heart rate down and reduce your anxiety. Have a look at that. Um, yeah, I will. I will. Okay, well, I'll look at it. Honestly, <laughs> like last week I was tapping on not being on my phone um, during my children's bedtime because right. I need to be fully present. And I don't know whether it's, like I say, is it just because I've said it out loud and acted on it? Yes. Yeah. My phone hasn't been upstairs with me for over two weeks. Wow, that's great. I think it's me, honestly. Oh, I've never okay. gone back into my childhood. It's something that I stay away from. I kind of push things down, get on with life. Do, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, it's just like the, the way I am. And I've been tapping and I've gone really far back. Like there's wow. been some real tea. It's been like a it's emotional freedom. Ca- counsel- <laughs> yeah, it is. It's wow. counseling sessions for me, but it's helping me. Like you said with your children, I've sat down, I hate watching TV, films. Yeah. Ca- I just, the annoyment. I just, can't sit still, that's why. I know, and I just want to, I know what's going to happen. Let's just yeah, get yeah, to yeah. the end and move on. That yeah. is just the way I am. But my 14 year old loves it and she wants nothing more than me to sit down and watch a film with her. And I oh, find wow. it so difficult. I'm like, that's let's go for a walk. Let's yeah. Get, really. Yeah, she's very similar. So tapping, I, I actually watched both Hunger Games. Yeah. The first two Hunger Games. Well. Yeah, I know. Back to back. Yeah, back to back. Wow, that is, a, that is quite an achievement. Yeah, no, it really, really was. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, we rave about them. That's what I like about your approach, you see. So, you know, something as arbitrary, you know, as tapping, you know, what the hell is tapping? You know, things like, yeah, but I mean, imagine bringing that up in an AA meeting. You, you, everyone would just <laughs> you make it, yeah, yeah, well, it's like tap and tap to get through this bloody misery fest. Um I mean, that's that's where I got to with it. But I do like the way in which you, you know, it's about being being flexible, isn't it? It's about bringing in new new things. And I'm always a naysayer. You know, like Nadia has been trying so hard to get me into meditation and 
and mindfulness and Zach Bush. I mean, I do my exercise, but I'm very blokey about that. It's like, unless I'm throwing huge weights around with Joe Wicks screaming in my ear, it's like, you know, no, it's not worth it. I need to be breaking my back. Otherwise, you know, but actually you're right. Take, I mean, I do a lot, I do gardening as well. And I do find, you know, finding those totally unrock and roll. That's what I love about us lunatic <laughs> alkies is that there was a moment a couple of weeks back in lockdown where I was in the garden and I was attending to something <laughs> Maddie came in with a friend of hers a bit of social distancing that's my 18 year old 17 year old and her friend said Jesus your dad looks like he's the head of a sort of mafia you know like with gloves and like a, a sort of paintbrush painting a rose going yes just find what you need in the back gate you know I mean you know it, it, it's it's sort of like finding those things that, you know, once upon a time when you were a drinker, you'd have gone, what, gardening? Gardening? Are you having an absolute fucking laugh? You know, anything, use everything, use anything. Yeah, that's so available. Good. I yeah. can my plants a bath the other day, Do you know what we've started doing, though, speaking of tapping, is if we've got if we've got an issue with something or with each other, like before we're having a little chat about the situation with the masks yeah. and schools, and Lisa's going, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we'll be having a conversation about something that, like you know, might have just created a little bit of not conflict, yeah. but difference of opinions. And oh, funny! Right. Well, um, I think this. <laughs> I, I've got a feeling, though, guys, I might do something quite funny about tapping with my mental marquee alter ego on my Instagram. Do it, do it. <laughs> I'm going to send you the link to either uh, your jewels because I think you'd find it really interesting. Okay, uh, great. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, also do something fun with it as well. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No yeah, tapping, no. It's great. really appreciate yeah, it, wouldn't would they? I'd love it. Yeah. You, you know, you've reminded me of what I forgot I was going to say earlier. Yeah. And <laughs> I do know what it is. And I do think it's relevant. When you first stop drinking um, and you do something that you did not believe you could ever think possible, you stop drinking. And do you not think that that builds up so much resilience and power within yourself that that's why you suddenly become this person that can do new things mm. and do you know you were talking before about setting up your own business mm. doing the gardening trying new things do you think that that maybe has something to do with it the fact that you've achieved the impossible yeah absolutely I mean I, and I think it's clarity of thought as well you know it's um, I mean and an, an, a really important again going back to this idea that you need to use many things to get there it's like you know one of my girls is going through a very sort of low self-esteem point at the moment and and I use this this sort of nice little maxim which is just because your feelings feelings aren't facts and what you're feeling about yourself isn't the truth you know yeah. okay you can all debate what the bloody truth is but I was just stressing to her that your feelings about yourself are coming from your stinking head and they're not facts. And I think, you know, as long if I think back to those things, you're right, the things that I've done, which I talked about doing but hadn't done until I stopped drinking, it's about just, you know, the common, the common theme is about parking those feelings or fears to the side. And I do like those acronyms, you know, fear, false evidence appearing real, you know, when people say they're fine, you know, false information nicely expressed, you know. You know, and it's just... You know, I think it is a case of of clearing your head, clearing visibility, and 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 ignoring. I mean, I have to confess, I think most of the biggest decisions I've made, you've you've honed in on what my major problem is, is when I've not thought too much about it. Actually, if I overthink anything, I can think my way out of doing something. Yeah. Um, and 
and then and then when I was drinking, that would lead to big drinking sessions because it was such dissatisfaction, wasn't it? It's was like, oh fuck, I've got all this drive, but oh no, no, I'm not. And and oh, let's put it all into this. Let's just go completely socially nuts. But yeah, I think you're right. I think you know, stopping drinking does allow you to have clarity of thought, clarity of purpose. You know, you still need to be brave, and you still need to overcome those fears. But uh, yeah, try and unthink. My advice to anyone would be just you know, you know when they say first drink. Was it first drink, second drink, or whatever that phrase is? First drink isn't enough, two drinks is too many, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. My thing is, is first thought, try not to have the second thought too often if yeah. you're making a new new decision, you know. A lot, I've brought that down, feelings are not fat. Do you know so what my old boss? Yeah, let's quote it's that. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my old boss used to actually say it a little bit differently, and he would say, feelings are facts to the people that feel them. In other words, like you, you kind of create something in your your own head as fact. But he used to say it, you know, they're yeah, not yeah, facts, yeah. but they are a fact to yeah, yeah, you. When yeah, you've made them real. You've yeah. made them real. Exactly. That's the like one good thing I've gained from my old job, by the way. Oh, this is just you know like, what? I think we've covered a lot there. Yeah, we have, haven't we? Bloody hell. Yeah. yeah. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, I have too. It's always lovely talking to you. Always yeah, lovely. I thought that was um I can't wait to put the episode out, which is in a week on Saturday. A week on Saturday. Well, let me know and uh, I'll get everyone to everyone we know to, to have a listen. But no, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I, you know, I, what I love about you guys is that, that that sort of positivity, it's nice to have talked about that because, um, you know, I think, you know, it's important for people to feel positive. You've made me feel comfortable about feeling negative. But I think you're right. Negative and positive, even as descriptions, don't necessarily do any of it justice, do they? I mean, no. in both of the... You can be funny, even though you're feeling as, you know, shit as, as, you, as, as you do. Um, but, you know, just, just... I always come away with new ideas and new thoughts, which is so nice. So we do as you. well, though, you know. It's the same for us because you oh. put things in our heads and I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> oh this is interesting. Oh, Lisa, feelings are not facts. So, yeah, that, yeah watch out for that. that one on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again. And at some point in the future, I mean, things are pretty busy and I know Nads is off to do something. I'll have a chat with Nadia and we should try and do a, get, get her on as well because I think it's always, I think you never get to hear from, you know, it's really important. I don't like talking on her behalf, but I think, you know, listening to someone talk about what it's like being married to someone in long-term sobriety. Well. I think that would be really interesting yeah. because, yeah. yeah, we have listeners from both sides and I think yeah. that, that yeah, would be yeah. really good if she'll agree to come on. Yeah, with yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have a natter with her. Yeah, yeah we, we'd love Aww. that. We really would. Well, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. And now you've excited all our guests so she's not going to have a choice. <laughs> yeah. And you deserve. And she can be the, the, the main meal. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much for your time. We absolutely appreciate it. Oh, lovely. Just send us all the links and everything, yeah? Definitely will do. Speaking of All right, guys. Soon. Lots Bye. of love. Bye. Bye. Bye.